Well, we're back in Ecclesiastes um, uh, this week, and if, if you haven't read through the book of Ecclesiastes yet, I would encourage you to do that um, once, twice, and I try to do it in, in like a sitting or, or maybe two sittings. Like don't, don't break it up, but try and get the whole, the whole picture of Ecclesiastes. And as we go through Ecclesiastes, um, we hear from the preacher, right? And the, the preacher is, it's probably Solomon. Like, it might not be Solomon. There's, there's some other good options out there, but it's, it's probably Solomon. If it's not Solomon, uh, the writer wants us to think of a Solomon-like person, a Solomon-like character. And, and what the preacher is trying to do is he's trying to make sense of this life, right? Life on earth. So he does all these kind of different little life experiments to see, um, to see if there's purpose, if we can find meaning um, in this life. So our truth statement, I'm going to start with it right off the top today, um, is God does everything at just the right time. And I struggle with these truth statements. Sometimes, sometimes I get them just too long and, and, uh, and, and complicated. And I, might, I don't know if I went too far the other way this week. I, I wanted to make it really simple. That God does everything at just the right time. And, and there's several things throughout the sermon that, that I want to connect to that. I, I want to connect his, his sovereignty to that. I want to connect that, that, that we, we are to fear God. Because he is the one that is in control, that he set eternity in our hearts. I want to connect that because of his perfect timing, we can enjoy life. Like everyday, ordinary things, gifts from God we, we get to enjoy. And ultimately, I want to connect Jesus to all of this. As Ecclesiastes certainly doesn't have all the answers, but it points us to the whole of Scripture. And we see, we see that Jesus was born at just the right time that he died at just the right time for us. Um, maybe four or six years ago, it was a Wednesday night, I wrapped up youth group, I put stuff away, talked to people I had to talk to, locked up the building, headed home. It was winter. Um, I didn't know that there was ice on the roads. Uh, in fact, there were definitely parts of the roads where, where there were not uh, there was no ice at all. Um, my neighborhood, just to get in my neighborhood, it's, um, I think it's the steepest, steepest part of our neighborhood, and I went down no problem at all. My tires had full traction. Um, and then I'm turning down our street, and about six houses up, and I'd never really thought about it before this moment of that night, about six houses up, the, the decline starts. And it's pretty gradual at first. And uh, really, even when you get to the, the very the first edge of my property, it's not that intense yet. But by the time you get to the next corner of my house, it really picks up. So I'm driving at an appropriate speed to turn into my, um, my driveway. And it feels like I just went like that, like there's no steering wheel at all. But I'm, I'm twisting the steering wheel and nothing happens. So naturally I hit the brakes, nothing happens there. I tap the brakes, nothing's working. I'm headed straight for my neighbor's house and I'm picking up speed. And I'm, I'm freaking out inside. Like, I'm trying to be calm, trying to do all the right things, but nothing is working for me at all. Now, somehow, as I'm picking up speed and as the road curves, I, I turn enough to realize, oh, I'm not going to hit that neighbor's house. I'm going to hit that neighbor's house, right? The one that's for sale, the one that's been pending for like a week. So now I'm thinking, it's amazing what you can think of, right? Like how quick your brain can go. Now I'm thinking, my poor neighbor, I'm going to ruin the sale of their house. This poor person that wants to buy this house, both realtors are going to be out there commission. Like, this is all the places my brain goes. Well, just after that, I nail the curb, and I'm going pretty fast. And I hit it hard enough that it blows out my tire, right? 
The blessing was that my tire blowing out meant that my rim could break through the ice. So I'm able to steer somewhat, right? Like I've got one out of four wheels that's responding. So I'm able to steer a bit, and I miss the lamppost that I was headed straight towards. Anyway, I end up sliding like another maybe 60, 75 feet to the, to the bottom of our cul-de-sac. I, I get out of my truck. I'm, internally, I'm just going crazy. I get out of my truck and realize, like, whoa, it's, it's slick. Well, duh. Um, and, and I, I walk, like I grab the bed of my truck, and then I take that first step, boom, fall, like just flat on my face. I didn't even try to get up. I crawled the rest of the way across the street because it was just ice everywhere. I got to the grass, broke through, and then walked up to my house. But it stinks. It's, it's a shock to think that you have control, only to realize that you have very little control at all. And this poem uh, that we get into in Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us that we don't have nearly the control that we think we have in life. This chapter is probably the most well-known chapter in Ecclesiastes. There's several songs that were written uh, on this, uh, about this poem. I'm not going to sing any of them to you if you were hoping for that. But let's start in verse 1. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So do you agree with the preacher that for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under the sun? Now it's, it is refreshing to me to have the seasons change. I enjoy... Um, I enjoy planting in the spring. I've talked about my fruit trees, my blueberry bushes, all that. I love, I love gardening. But I would not want to plant forever. I would not want an eternal spring. I planted because I'm excited for the harvest that's coming. I'm excited to pick those blueberries and hopefully plums this year and, and pears. I'm excited about the mason bees that were passed out last week at church. Like if you weren't here and you're like, what are you talking about? Maybe the weirdest church, church thing that's ever been, or thing that's been passed out at church. But we got these mason bees from Dave and I'm stoked for these bees to pollinate all my fruit trees so that I can eat those later in the summer, I love summertime. I love summer with my family. Like we'll try, hopefully we'll get out and go camping a couple times. Uh, we'll go on a family vacation where, where my kids get to be with all their cousins for a week, and it's, it's kind of like Mad Max. It's a little crazy. Um, we'll go to a church family camp that my wife grew up going to that, that we, we just love as a family. So I love summer, but if I'm honest, by the time like late August comes, I'm ready for my kids to go to school. I'm ready to have life back to the way it is the rest of the year. I'm ready for fall. I love fall. I love watching the colors change. I don't like picking up the leaves, but I like that they change colors. Right? I love the warm temperatures that we get even into pretty late September, but I also like it that first time I have to put on a long sleeve shirt. 
right? I enjoy switching from iced coffee all summer to a hot cup of coffee, warming my hands in the morning with that mug. Even though I get sick of the rain pretty quickly, the first time it rains, the first few times it rains, it, it feels good. It feels like home to me. So the seasons, we know that they're good. And, and we can see, I think, we can see in it that God knows what he's doing. The poem that we read consists of 14 pairs that, that cover really, it feels like everything in life. Each pair is comprehensive. And, and most of the poem, we, we probably agree with that without even really having to think at all. Starts off, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Right? Birth, birth to death, it, it covers the, the whole of human existence. There's a time to laugh, a time to weep, and sometimes those are just moments apart, but there the, the poet covers the range of human emotion. So we, we get his point in most of these, time to plant, time to harvest, time to mourn, time to dance, time to break down and build up, time to tear and sow. A couple of these, though, take some thought. Like when it says there's a time to love, we, we get that. But then it says there's a time to hate. And, and that's a head-scratcher for us because we shouldn't hate, right? And yet there are things that we really ought to hate. There are evils in this broken, messed-up world that should make us really upset. It says there's a time for war and a time for peace, and, and I think we all long for peace. And my guess is none of us, none of us want war, but I think a lot of us understand that sometimes, as a last result, war needs to happen. And this poem helps us realize, kind of like I realized in my truck that night, how little control we actually have in life. Right? None of us told mom it was time to be born. And uh, even if we could, she wasn't interested in your timing. Right? She wanted you out, I'm pretty sure, earlier than it happened. We're not in control. And these rhythms of life, they aren't random either. These patterns were created. God is sovereign. And by sovereign, I mean he has absolute authority. Right? No event escapes his knowledge. No event escapes his plans. So God is sovereign over time. He's sovereign over life. He's in control. There's nothing that happens outside of his will. One scholar wrote, God is the king of time. He regulates our minutes and seconds. He rules all our moments and all our days. Nothing happens in life without his superintendence. Everything happens when it happens because God is sovereign over time as well as eternity. Genesis 8.22, God promises that as long as the earth remains, he says this, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The, the preacher is not just saying that God is sovereign over the seasons, fall, winter, spring, and summer, but, but there is the same sovereign order in human activities and relationships. So he starts off this poem by saying there's a season, and, and by season, it, it, it's, it's a sense of a fixed time, right? a predetermined purpose. He's saying that there's a fitness to what happens within these, these times, the, the timing of these events. The preacher isn't saying that God is arbitrary and that we're stuck in whatever he wants. He's saying that, that God makes it work. It fits. His timing is good. I think of a director in a play or, or a conductor in an orchestra. Right? They know just the right timing. They know when to, when to cue the, the section of the instruments or, or the person in the play. God's timing is spot on. 
So there, there's, maybe there's more than two responses, but there's two responses that, that I see here is, is we see that we really don't have much control, if any at all. We can fear what life will bring, and, and maybe you've felt like this before. Maybe you feel like this now. You're just waiting for something to go horribly wrong because it, it just seems like chance to you. And actually later, uh, later in Ecclesiastes, he'll, he'll say that time and chance. So we can fear life. We can fear what's going to happen to us. Or Christians, I, I think that we can be filled with hope. I'm sure we all long for, for things this side of heaven, and, and maybe it's Maybe it's a better living situation. Perhaps it's a spouse. Maybe it's the right job or having a family. Or, or uh, maybe it's your kid trusting in Jesus. Maybe it's healing from, from a disease. God does everything with perfect timing. So will we trust his timing? Will you wait on his timing? Will you submit to his timing? Psalm 34.1 King David wrote that he blessed the Lord at all times. And that, that sounds good and right. But think about David's life. David had a hard life in a, in a lot of ways. And some of it he brought on himself, certainly. There's some things he, he didn't bring on himself. But he said he was able to bless the Lord at all times because whatever time it was, right, whatever enemy was trying to kill him, whatever son betrayed him, God was in control. That's how David could bless the Lord at all times. In Acts 1-7, Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. God has it all in his hands. He has you. He has all of human history in his hands. Do you trust him? Now, I know the church answer is yes. But really, do you trust, do you trust him? I can think of people in our congregation that it hasn't just been a hard season. It's been hard season after season after season of heart-wrenching struggle. Are you able to trust God in that? Where are you in that, in that spectrum of trust? If not trusting is here and fully trusting is here, where are you in trusting God? And knowing that God is in control, a natural question is, well, what, what's our part then? Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And we're supposed to make the best use of the time that God has given us. Are we doing that? Each one of us gets the same amount of time each day. Now you can sleep longer or shorter to gain a little advantage, but we all are trusted with the same amount of time. How will we use that time? How much of that time is, is really wasted by us? God is sovereign in the time that he's allotted each one of us, and while we don't have control that we sometimes think we have, we are responsible for what we do with the time that God has gifted to us. And I think of the parable of the talents. I won't get into that, but, but think of the parable of the talents with, with the time you've been given. Let's jump down to verse 11. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And in, in life, there are certain things you don't have to be told it's beautiful, right? Like, I don't, I don't have to have someone tell me, like, the sunset's beautiful. Like, well, yeah, I'm looking at it. Like, it's amazing. That purple hue is incredible. But there are other things in life that, uh, that the beauty is, is kind of sneaky. The preacher tells us that, that God has made everything beautiful in its time, right? There's no doubt. We, we look at it, a newborn, new life, and we, we get, we understand why that's beautiful. But there can also be beauty 
at the end of someone's life, someone that's lived a full life. I've been to funerals of, uh, of, of just godly women, godly men who've lived their lives just pouring it out to Christ. And I leave just inspired. Like I just I wanna I wanna live even half the life that they did unto the Lord. It's by God's grace that there's beauty in, in all the different seasons and all the different times. Continuing in verse eleven, he says, also he has put eternity into man's heart. And the preacher sees that that humanity we're stuck, we're stuck between time and eternity. Genesis three twenty two tells us we're we're meant to live forever and then sin came into the picture. But the preacher tells us God has placed eternity within us. And I think we know that deep down inside, we all know that this life isn't supposed to be the end. Or that somewhere within us we can feel that we were made for more than this and we long for it. And preacher's helping us see that, that all these things in life, life under the sun, while these things are, are, are good, right, they're beautiful when handled properly, we can, we can truly experience joy in these things, but, but they're not the end result. Like They're not what we're going for. There's more to life than these things. God made us to long for eternity. So when we experience that dissatisfaction in, in the things of life that aren't God, that dissatisfaction is really God's grace. It's, it's him pointing us to eternity that God has put in us. He made us to live life forever. Eternal life, as we heard from Jesus in the book of John, is, is knowing him. So everything else that we can live for, the preacher says, vanity. Vanity of vanities. He says it's, 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 it's like smoke. Right? Smoke looks like, it has, like you could grab it. Like it, it. There's something to it. There's substance there. But you grab for it, and it just goes through your fingers. It was never meant to give us what we thought it could, these things in life that we chase after. The point of vanity is to show us God. It's to, sh- it's to help us long for eternity. Verse 11 continues, Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so e- even when we recognize that we were made for eternity, we're still these finite creatures living in, in a time-bound universe, and we can't really make out what God is up to. We, only, we can only see what he reveals to us. So if you've seen the back of a tapestry, it's crazy looking, right? It looks like some kid's craft project like exploded. And it isn't until you flip the tapestry over that you realize that, that what seemed like it was just this hot mess was actually an incredible work of art, right? And I, even if you don't like tapestry, like I'm never going to go buy a tapestry, but, but I can respect what an incredible piece of art it is, the, the skillful work that was involved. It was clearly planned, and the plan was painstakingly followed, even to, to these minute details. And, and together, it, it creates this thing of beauty. So even though we know God is at work, the preacher says, it's kind of like that tapestry. Like We can't see what he's doing. It, it, it may not look to us like the master is following a master plan. We might find ourselves questioning his wisdom, questioning his love, his concern for us. But the preacher reminds us that from our little limited perspective, we can't see what God's doing. God, on the other hand, he isn't limited at all in his view. His view is perfect. It's complete. Verses 12 and 13. 
I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And some people take these verses pretty negatively, but I think this is a sincere conclusion that, that there's nothing better in life than, 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 we, than for us to be joyful for us to do good, that we can take pleasure in our work, we can take pleasure in everyday things, even like eating and drinking, because this is from God. We can look to our Creator and recognize that this, these are gifts from Him. Do you recognize gifts from God? Like daily, in, in mundane things, not, not the big, big things, but just the everyday stuff in life. Do you recognize these are gifts from God. I regularly thank God for uh, the vehicles that Lindsay and I drive. Right? I drive a 2003 Nissan Frontier. It's bright yellow. Yeah, the paint's chipping horribly. Um, I noticed about a month ago, every time I accelerate, it rattles. I'm like, that, that's probably not good. Um, gas mileage actually isn't good. I know this doesn't sound like I'm thankful yet. I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> but I've never had to do anything but routine maintenance on my truck. I'm so grateful for that. I, it's yellow, so I've never lost it in a parking lot. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> There's another yellow Nissan Frontier in Camas, and we see each other, and every time I like point at him as I'm driving by, and this, this happened two days ago, he finally laughed when I did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yellow Nissan truck brothers. Anyway, um, my wife's car, it's an 06, right? It's, not, I, it's great. Like, it's been a faithful car to us. I, I'm I'm so appreciative because I had so many bad cars for so many years, so many times driving up a hill going, man, is this the time I overheat? I'm like blasting the heat in the middle of summer, just praying that I can get up this hill. I'm grateful for the cars that, that we have. Are you, are you joyful? Or do you see gifts from God in your life? Verse 14 says, I perceived, and he started off verse 12 that way. He's trying to make sense of this life. So he says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. And we think back to the beginning of the chapter, right? The, the, the seasons, the fitness of God's time, and that everything he does is at the right time. So he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people may fear before him and fear when we hear about fear, God, I think we get confused. I think we see it as a negative thing. But there are things that we need to be fearful of. My, my two older kids, they're still a few years away from driving, but it's getting closer and closer. And my hope is that they do have a healthy fear of, of driving. My hope is they have a healthy fear of the power that they will have in a car. The, the power to, yep, go fast and have fun. The power to, to really hurt someone. To, to even kill someone. I, I hope that they don't just flippantly get behind the wheel of a car. Both the Psalms and Proverbs tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fearing God, it's, it's to revere him. It's to tremble at, at his might. Uh, Martin Luther, he said, uh, this is what it means to fear God, to have God in view, to know that he looks at all our works and to acknowledge him as the author of of all things. Uh, Pastor uh, Philip Riken, he wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes. He wrote, part of fearing God is knowing he is in control, even when we can't see it or don't understand what he's doing. 
Do you fear God? Verse 15, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. In the last part of that verse, and, and God seeks what has already been driven away, it's, it's, it's interesting. The NIV um, it writes it this way. It says, God will call the past into account, which sounds like judgment. And there's certainly judgment language uh, all throughout this book. Actually, in the next two verses, we'll get into judgment language. Another commentator wrote that the language of seeking may suggest that God is looking to redeem the past. That by his grace, he will recover and restore what seems from our vantage point lost forever. Right? That, that, that the same God that put eternity into the hearts of man, that he will make everything new, that he will make everything beautiful in its time. I don't know which it is. I, I don't know if this is judgment language, if this is redeeming language. But either one points to God being in control. That, that God is in control. That, that he is going to do it at just the right time. Verse 16, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter, for every work. All of us have within us this longing for justice. It feels like it's in our DNA. No one has to teach a kid to say, that's not fair. All of my kids know that phrase very, very well. We want justice. I, I don't know what news stories you followed this week, but I, I tend to get fixated like on a news story. There's a news story this week about um, a bunch of wealthy parents that were busted uh, for this college entrance uh, scam. They were, they were bribing. They were cheating. They, they were paying lots of money to make sure that their kids could get into elite schools. And, and, and I had two reactions. One, I was just disgusted. I was so upset that, 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 that people thought they could, they could um, make their own system and, and, and get their kids in any way they wanted. And at the same time, I was so very satisfied that they were caught. I was so happy. And, and part of what made me happy was the judge said, hey, we're going after them just like we would everyone else. And there was this, there was this feeling of like, yes, that is right. Like they tried to do something crooked and, and, and they're going to pay the price for it. We, we want justice. We often hear about social justice. And we, we hear about social justice in the church. We hear about it outside of the church. But, but Christians, when, when social justice is disconnected from the gospel, you can almost hear the preacher in Ecclesiastes yelling, Vanity of vanities. When, when we put our hope in our ability to make things right, we will always be frustrated. And I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't fight. In small ways and big ways for the oppressed, we need to do that. We need to watch out for the oppressed. We need to see where we're a part of oppressive systems. We need to take a stand uh, where, where people, where injustice is reigning. But we also should acknowledge that we need God to make this world right. You think you want justice? You don't want it at all compared to how badly God wants justice. And he will make everything right. The preacher sees that. He knows, he knows that while our efforts will help, we cannot eradicate injustice. We cannot smother evil. The preacher tells us in verse 17, God will judge. And we need to look to God, the just judge. We can trust that God will judge sin. He will judge evil. God will judge at just the right time. And maybe there's a part of you that just wants to say, amen. 
Right? The, the preacher's comfort is that God will judge the just or the wicked and the innocent. But the question is, who, who's, who's innocent? Ecclesiastes 7.20, the preacher tells us, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. God, the just judge, will judge sin. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember the first time I read the Harry Potter series, I hated that Harry Potter uh, had evil inside of him. If you haven't read the series, I'm going to blow it for you here. It's been out a long time. Um, Harry, long story short, he, uh, the most evil wizard in the world ever, tries to kill Harry. Harry's saved by his mom's love. It's beautiful. Um, uh, but for the sake of time, I'm going fast. Um, so Harry's got this weird connection with Voldemort, this evil wizard. That <laughs> sounds really funny to say out loud. Um, uh, and funnier that I've read the series twice. Um, so I, I hated that Harry... I hated that, that Harry had evil inside of him. I hated that Harry could be a jerk to his best friends. I hated that Harry lacked integrity. I, I hated, he, he, you look at Harry and he's the hero, but in a lot of ways, he's not a good guy. My second time through this series, I, I realized what a great picture this actually is for us, for, for humanity. Because we like to think of ourselves, maybe not as the hero, but we like to think of ourselves as being pretty good. And we certainly aren't as bad as others. And maybe that's true. I mean, yeah, you're probably not as bad as someone else. You're also not as good as, as other people. We certainly aren't as good as God. We deserve to be judged by the perfectly just, perfectly holy God. And just like we would cry out if a human judge let someone off that was guilty, how much more should we expect that God, the perfect judge, would judge us as we deserve? Thankfully, Jesus offered himself in our place. Scripture tells us he who knew no sin took on sin. He gave us his perfect standing as if it were our own. So Jesus took on the wrath that we deserve so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be redeemed. The preacher is telling us to look at God the judge. He, he has us look at ourselves and see that we deserve to be judged. And while he doesn't mention fearing God, I think it's implied. He, he goes on. He, he has a stare at death. He, he talks about us being like the beast, that we really have no advantage. They're going to die. We're going to die. Time is ticking. Right? Life expectancy might be getting longer and longer, but death's still coming. And he says we're like the beast in the sense that, that both will die. And then he asks the question, do you know if your spirit ascends and the animal descends into the earth? And he's saying you can't tell. You don't know for sure what happens to the spirit of a human, the spirit of an animal, because you've, You've never experienced it. You've never seen it. But fortunately, we know someone who has. We know that Jesus died and he rose. We know him who was raised from the dead so that we can have life in him. Galatians 4.4, we talk about the timing of God. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Romans 5.6 for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God does everything at just the right time. A time to be born, Jesus did it at the perfect time. A time to die, Jesus' timing was, was perfect. And we think about 
when Jesus came, where he came. We, we think about how, how quickly the gospel spread, right? Secular historians note that Jesus died, and, and right after that, there's this, this teeny little Jewish offshoot, right, Christians. And then within 27 years, it's a world religion. That's amazing that it spread that quickly, right? I, I think Harvest has been around like 30-some years, Maybe like 200 people. <laughs> we're not a world power. Um, not that we're shooting to be. Um, man, it's amazing God's timing. We think about the location of where Jesus was born. If you look at a map, right, it, it's, it's in the center of the world at that time. Right next to Africa. Right next to Europe and, and Asia. Uh, the, the timing um, with what was going on there. So Rome was in charge when Jesus was born. The Greeks were in charge before that. And, and, and they, they established... Greek as the trade language, right? And it was working so well that by the time Rome got there, they said, we're keeping it, right? We're going to maximize what's already happened here, right? It was ripe for the gospel to spread. The Romans also invented the road, right? They, they invented an infrastructure. The gospel came at just the right time so that, that these roads and this trade language could be used for the gospel to explode all over the world. God's timing is perfect, if you don't know Jesus, will you trust in him? What are you waiting for? 2 Corinthians 6, 2, the second half of that says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today would be a great day to trust in Jesus. We're going to have our prayer team in the back as we sing these songs, as we take communion in a bit. If it's hard for you to trust God's timing right now, and, and all of us, if we're not there right now, we've been there. But if it's hard for you, go back and have someone pray for you, pray with you. If there's a longing that you have, that you just you realize you need to trust God with it, you need to wait on his timing, go back and be prayed for. If you realize that you're constantly fighting God for control, surrender today. Trust in him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we can trust in your good and perfect timing. I thank you that, that at the right time, while we were still weak, you died for us. Lord, I thank you that you, you are sovereign. I thank you that you reveal yourself in a way that, that we can and should fear you so that we would submit our lives to you. Lord, I thank you that, that when we don't live for all these other things, but when we live for you, you actually give us joy. In, in even, even just mundane, everyday, ordinary things. Jesus, would our hearts be yours? Would we trust in you? Would we trust in your perfect timing, God? It's in your name we pray. Amen.